I'm Ben Hayward, and you're listening to Inside India. Welcome to Inside India by UTI International. I'm your host, Ben Hayward. Join me as I embark on an exciting journey through the new and modern India. From the Dabawalas to the Tatars and the Ambanis, let's see what the future may hold for the world's largest democracy. In this series, we feature conversations with business and economic leaders who have lived and breathed the story of India as they tell us their version of what makes this such a compelling and exciting growth opportunity in the 21st century. Stay tuned. You have probably heard before that there are two religions in India which truly unite its population of 1.3 billion people, Bollywood and cricket. Whilst it is entertainment for the fans, both industries can mean serious business for brands and producers alike. In today's podcast, I'm really pleased to welcome our guest, Venki Mysore, CEO of Red Chilies Entertainment and Managing Director of the IPL cricket franchise, Kolkata Knight Riders. Venki's understanding of the Indian audience and his story of building two of the biggest entertainment brands in the country, alongside the king of Bollywood, Shahrukh Khan, offers a fascinating insight into the world of media consumption for a generation of new Indians. Join me as we explore India through the lens of Venki's story and how he plans to export Bollywood and cricket to audiences all over the world. Welcome, Venki. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Let's go straight in off the bat, no pun intended. I am a huge cricket fan. I've watched cricket all over the world, including in India when I lived in Delhi back in 2016. I am a de facto Delhi Daredevils fan, so I hope you don't take too much offence. But for our (laughs) listeners, can you take us inside Eden Gardens? What is it like on IPL nights and what is it about the IPL that, that makes it so special? Well, firstly, thanks, Ben, for having me and it's a pleasure to chat with you and uh, I think it's appropriate that we start with a bit of description on the experience at Eden Gardens. As you know, iconic stadium, iconic ground and you know, so much history with everything that's happened there. But IPL is always extremely special because Kolkata as a city and West Bengal as a state is made up of you know very, very emotional people and they love their cricket. And, you know, KKR didn't start off great in the first three years, but somehow we started building our credibility and then championships followed and playoff qualifications. So the entire city is buzzing when uh, when an IPL game happens and when a KKR game happens and you can literally feel it. I don't think you can feel that in any other city in India. I'm, I know I'm a bit biased, but I'm, I'm very factual about that, I think. So as a result, what happens, I mean, it's, it is the largest stadium in the country. I mean, with 70,000 capacity and we sell out completely. There isn't a seat that's vacant. And so it's a it's an ocean of purple and gold, which is our colors there. And uh, more important is, you know, when you drive up, I mean, just to share some of the experiences, we stay at a hotel, which is about a 30-minute drive from the stadium. And when I get into the car, I'm wearing my KKR jersey, purple and gold, and then driving through. And somehow, for whatever reason, people do recognize me a little bit as well. So you have people all the way until you reach the stadium, And as you get closer to the stadium, you know, serpentine lines there. And that's something that I always feel very proud of as to the kind of uh, what we have built there. And once you enter the stadium, it's just that noise. If it's completely full, there's at least 10,000 plus people standing outside who couldn't get in. And then they chant KKR and 
you know, the game and it's a night game with fireworks and we have our special balloons that are always ready in the event of a good result and a helium filled balloons, purple balloons that just fly away and cheerleaders and all of that. It's a massive experience for anyone who comes into Eden Gardens and it's one to be actually to physically be there to be to experience it rather than the description of it. But I've tried to do my best there to give you paint a no, picture I, for you. I, I think, you know, that gives us a great sense. And you spoke about, you know, 70,000 people in the stadium, 10,000 outside, but how many millions watch a typical IPL game around the country, around the world? <sighs> Oh, wow. You know, it's it's actually grown quite dramatically. I mean, IPL entered the 13th season and uh, it has grown dramatically. But my friends at Star, who are the broadcasters currently, yeah. tell me that television and streaming put together on an average, there's anywhere between 150 to 200 million people wow. watching the game. It's just any given crazy. Game. It's crazy. And if you're watching on their streaming platform, which is Hotstar, you can literally see the count. It could be 11.30 p.m. with a crucial game just coming to a finish. You'll have a million people on live at that particular point in time. And so uh, that's television plus Hotstar and whatnot. So it's it's massive. And that's only India. Of course, you know, it goes across the globe. It's massive. So the numbers are just mind boggling. Yeah. And I know you, you're kind of friendly with sports owners from all over the world. And have you had anyone from, say, the States or, you know, Europe come to India to watch games? And what do they make of it? No, absolutely. In fact, I'm very fortunate that I have built those relationships over the years. I get to attend a sports summit once every year, which used to be held in Aspen, Colorado, where it was by invitation only. And it's hosted by the owners of sports franchises in the US in basketball, baseball, ice hockey, football, etc. So through these relationships, when I describe this IPL and the experience at Eden and the games, like I did just now, they're like, wow, I mean, this mind boggling. So I said, listen, I mean, why don't you come over to Calcutta, be our guest? And, you know, I say that on the assumption that it is tough for them to do that. But over the last few years, I've had people take me up on that. You know, for example, the general manager of uh, the Dallas Mavericks and his people, they got on a plane and flew down. We had jerseys made for them with their names on it. And then when they when we took them in, they're like, what is this? I mean, it, it's, uh, and he said, you know, we Americans are so whatever we think, what we do there is the biggest thing that's happening. But cricket and white ball and 70,000 people and this kind of experience, they're just blown away, completely blown away to a point where now, as we're talking about USA cricket and all that, I mean, these are people who are showing a lot of interest to get involved with that partly because of what they've been able to see firsthand. So we've had clusters of people who come in. I always encourage that. We always welcome them. Almost every year we have groups of people, you know, four, five, six, ten people who, who come there and give us the opportunity to host them. It's so cool. In a sort of odd sense of the way, people from Dallas, Texas, taking an interest in what's going on in Calcutta. But that just, to me, shows that India is is just becoming more and more relevant. People want a piece of, of India, um, whether you're in Dallas, in London, in New South Wales, Australia. People are taking notice. So that's that's really cool to hear. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's the, the India story. I always say that it's all pervasive, depending on which sector, which type of business you're in, whether it's sports, entertainment business, there's always a story there. And you have to look for the right type of story for you to embrace what's happening and then see whether that fits into the scheme of things for people, depending on whatever they're interested in. Fascinating. And I guess on the IPL, one of the big things that we read about and learn about here in the, the Western world is the auction process. So you're a team 
chief executive, you're probably right in the heart of the auction process every year. I think it'd be pretty cool to take our listeners inside that auction process and that, you know, how do you go about selecting players and thinking about, you know, making bids? How does that whole process work? It's been a learning process for everyone. There are eight franchises and there's an auction every year, but essentially there's a big auction every three years because the player contracts go in cycles of three years. And at the end of which you, in theory, have to put all your players back into the auction and essentially look at ways in which you can rebuild the team. Of course, there's always some retention that's allowed and all that. So I want to go into too much detail of that. But essentially what happens is there is a salary cap. So it's like an NFL model in the US Mm -hmm. for people who understand that. So there's a salary cap to keep everything as a level playing field. And then there are anywhere between 1,400 to 1,600 players who go into the auction. Every single foreign of any quality and repute Mm. wants to put their name in all the Indian players who played for the country who played at the highest level and even some of the youngsters who are coming in showing a lot of promise they go in and the squad sizes are anywhere between 20 to 25 so if you've got to pick that many only that many from that kind of a roster now how do you go about it is the question so we were probably one of the first ones I just given my background, my previous life and my data-driven type of approach, we started using a lot of analytics and we continue to. And so I contracted a software firm and they didn't really have the domain knowledge or experience, but they had the know-how on how to build software. So we gave them all the inputs on what we're looking for. So it was very interesting in how we are we have a query tool right now when you're looking for very specific types of skills rather than names that come up in the auction it's a very different mindset in how you pick and at the same time what happens is everybody has a finite amount of uh, money to spend so if you're going after specific types of names then it becomes a food fight there (laughs) everyone is lifting the paddle there and you can only do that for one player or two players or whatever but how do you build a team how do you build a team to make sure that you have collectively a group of people who can go out and perform to the levels of your expectations so a lot of analytics a lot of applications that we have built and we do a lot of preparation leading up to the auction mock auctions and what have you anticipate what other teams could be thinking about so literally you're wearing their hat and thinking through strategies that they may adopt and then uh, do a lot of that anticipation. So uh, it's it's game theory to one level. Many times it's uh, you need a little bit of that luck as well because the sequence in which the players come, those are all random. But it's fun. It's tremendous amount of fun. And I should tell you on the fan engagement side, it's remarkable because we run, our guys are very, very smart on the digital and content side. They run mm-hmm. contests for our fan base and basically say, Ask them for inputs on how would you build a team and who should, what sort of players should we be looking at? What sort of skills should we look at? And we even some of the ones who have come very close to what our strategy was, post-auction, we call them in and there's some kind of gratification for them and some uh, interesting things that we do for them just to keep them interested and rewarded. So it, it's, a, it's a massive experience by itself. Totally, totally. And, and how much of it is, you know, getting that, that really big fish who's going to drive shirt sales and things like that? They're obviously incredibly useful cricketers first and foremost, but they're great for the franchise to have a, a big name. But as you said, actually, perhaps it's better to find the right balance in a team. So ha- yeah, I guess it's a, an interesting dynamic to try and manage. Yeah, it is. And you know, we've thought about this a lot because sometimes players 
are picked for being able to be that face that you know who helps from a marketing standpoint even you know bringing crowds into stadiums and mm. selling our shirts and our merchandise and all that but we have taken a very different approach ben from the very beginning because i've always felt that with a 3 year cycle it's very difficult to retain the kind of players that you really want to every 3 years there's a certain amount of churn so we've always thought about brand kkr brand night riders as opposed to fans following us because of one big player people ask me i mean don't you want some marketing face there i said listen i mean i have the i have the biggest brand in entertainment and you can imagine with srk behind us <laughs> so i don't need somebody to be on the ground just to attract brands and uh, do all of these things because we try to run on our own steam we have ring fence brand uh, night riders and the brands who associate with us are able to see value therefore we we put less emphasis on trying to get that that big face in fact since the time i've been involved i mean now i'm into my 11th year uh, we've really not had any superstars we have created superstars but yeah. we have not gone recruiting superstars so that gives us a little more flexibility in in the type of players that we can recruit and bring bring into the squad as opposed to that one big name sometimes you have to do that but fortunately we have not had to do that too often and so it's worked well for us i think it's always the continuity that we think about that we want fans to be attached to the franchise as opposed to one or two players and for whatever reason if those one or two players move around then you don't want to lose that section of your fans so we we've, we've taken a different approach to it no sure that makes total sense and probably a far more sustainable way to build a business srk by the way for those of you who don't know is is sharuk khan who is probably india's biggest uh, movie star bollywood star and we'll get on to bollywood later on because i know it's a, a, another large part of you know what you do day to day but actually venki i want to take you back to the start of your career and i don't know whether many of our listeners will know this but you worked in financial services like like i do now you worked in in new york for metlife and then you came back to india and helped set up is it burla sun life a large part i imagine of what you did in the early days was selling the india story when you worked in new york you know to your colleagues talk us through how you went about doing that I I was going to say all those years ago but I don't want to age you too much so talk 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 us through you know how how you sold the India story back then and given what you do now with Bollywood and IPL how the India story has changed or is changing it's very interesting because when i went to the united states study and to work and ideally to build my career there I and mean, everyone goes in search of an opportunity and uh, i was very fortunate to be recruited by metlife in a fast track management program and i spent several years there and the domestic side of the business building it and building my own career and i was fortunate that i had a fairly interesting growth and fairly rapid growth as well and right out of the blue they wanted someone of my background in international operations because a lot of stuff was happening in asia and first assignment was supposed to be indonesia but i wasn't too excited because i had a big role that i was playing in the domestic side of the business but so i told them that listen if the road goes through india at some point let me know because i'd be interested in in doing that going back to your home country and building something was always very exciting and so the answer i always got was listen i mean india is not even on the radar and so don't hold your breath for that as you know very well it's a real india story on liberalization and opening up and the opportunity for foreign investors to come in started really in 1991 when the prime minister at that time and the finance minister who eventually became a prime minister as well they just took it upon themselves to 
start opening up various different sectors. And it's been very typical, including insurance that I was involved in insurance, financial services, that they were all very government-owned, public sector type of industries, as they're called here. Slowly but surely, when the, when the opening up started, and then suddenly there's this IT boom, and then the BPO boom, next thing you know, India is on the map. Well and truly. So I did go to Indonesia first to set up MetLife and then I went to Hong Kong. I was on my way to another Asian country, possibly Korea, when suddenly India started making noises about opening. And the insurance industry was government owned, both life insurance and general insurance. And they started opening it up for private sector. So when I came here, but people back home, as in back home, as in the US and the home office, were very skeptical always because, you know, India was not something that people had explored as much. The China story was the real big story because Mm -hmm. China had started opening up since 1979. So people had made more visits, had traveled. And so they had different perceptions of India. So it was, I think at a very basic level, it was very important to get people to travel and come to India and and just see for themselves what was happening and to meet policymakers, government officials, just to understand the level of interest they had in being able to open things up, at the same time, protect the character of what had been built here and attract foreign investments and make it. And so when people came in, I think some of the things that struck them, number one, you could sense the size of the middle class. And how that was emerging. Even today, I mean, there are, depending on which report you read, it's anywhere between 250, 350 million is the size of the middle class. And then when you look at that as a separate market and the per capita income and the wealth creation that's taken place, the disposable incomes, and then their buying habits and their lifestyles, because these are people who have been exposed to foreign travel and other countries and have, have really come back and have those types of expectations back in India saying, why can't we do this? And so that's where it all starts. That was number one. Number two is that you know, people you know, realize that there is a there's a legal structure, there's a legal system here. Contracts work and contracts are enforceable. And there is a governance structure around how companies are run. A lot of domestic capital is being generated, but for the kind of ambition that the country has in terms of growth, there's huge opportunity for foreign investment to come in in the form of equity so that people can come and participate in the Indian story. So these are things that it took a little while to take people through this journey. But now it's, you know, you really don't have to sell it as much because of the fact that people have come and experienced it. And it is reflected in the foreign direct investment. And it's reflected in the number of companies that are operating here as joint ventures or as subsidiaries. But that was a journey that was very important to take them through. And also getting them to meet you know, policy makers and the government officials and then try to understand you know, there's a whole uh, you know, group of intelligent people who are thinking through a roadmap for a country like India, a complex country like India. So that was fascinating for me. And to a degree, we continue to do that, but it's not a hard sell anymore from Mm. my perspective. Although different sectors have different levels of participation and but the story is getting only bigger as the time goes by totally and and thing you know things like ipl which is now streamed and and broadcast all over the world i guess is just india being showcased rather than you know you having to bring people to india physically to show them the potential now india is sort of broadcast all over the world be it through bollywood ipl just the fact that businesses foreign businesses are established in india so yeah that that will only continue Absolutely. I think there are so many ways in which the India story is being told. 
today. And people have experienced that. And, and I used to jokingly, now I jokingly say this, but when I came initially and when we were talking about marketing and the platforms on which you can socialize your idea, people used to always say there are only two religions in India. One is cricket, the other is Bollywood. <laughs> and lo and behold, I, I'm embracing both sides of it now. <laughs> so I think through these mediums, as you rightly put it, you know, whether it is cricket or whether it's Bollywood, I mean, the film industry in India, because there are a lot of regional films as well, apart from what is known as Bollywood, which is more Mumbai-centric, Hindi, but the regional films and all that. I mean, we're the largest film industry in the world in terms of the number of films that come out. And there's an audience for this in various parts of the world. So people are seeing this through their own set of lenses and the story is being sort of disseminated. And particularly when it comes to cricket today, it's become such a global phenomenon that, you know, we started expanding into different parts of the world by owning franchises in the Caribbean League, by owning franchises in the South Africa League. And now the investment we've made in USA cricket and something else that's also in under discussion. Everybody wants a piece of that action. And so it's a, it's a story that is gaining a lot of traction as we go along. No, it's fascinating. And I think, you know, honing in on this, the world and India and the relationship that kind of exists, I mean, you yourself, uh, you were part of that. And I, I don't want to use this in a negative sense, but this brain drain, this, you know, exceptional talent that India has, super, super smart people, but they tend to leave India to go and, you know, find wealth or create businesses outside of India. There's a huge Indian diaspora all over the world. Are we getting a little bit of a sense now that young, educated Indians entering the workforce are happy to stay in India because they see more opportunity there? Or a lot of the in, you know, Indian diaspora all over the world coming back in more and more numbers? I mean, yes, there'll always be people that want to leave, but is that trend reversing a little bit, do you think? Absolutely. I've seen it firsthand. You know, the stage at which I left the country and I went there in search of an opportunity, higher education, working and gaining that type of experience and building a career. That used to be kind of a standard path that many were using. But since the time when when it coincided with the opening up of the economy and opening up of the markets, suddenly everybody there, you know, Indians who are there, who have gone there, learned the trade and have become successful, very entrepreneurial in their outlook, are suddenly saying, listen, we need to take this business idea back to India. It's very complementary in nature. It's not one at the cost of the other. It's about how the partnerships, whether it's the US or the UK or wherever people had gone. So I see that happening. And therefore, you know, what has happened in the process with the opening up of the economy, with this kind of, you know, call it reverse brain drain, or just the interest to come back and the opportunity to build a business here, people have realized the the young graduates or people who are getting into the workforce here have realized that they don't necessarily have to leave the country in search of an opportunity. There's an opportunity right here. And so what has happened, the sequence with which this has happened is that the people who have gone there in some respect or the other, like for example, I can take a little bit of credit for convincing MetLife to come to India. So I played that kind of a facilitative role. And when a company like that comes in, today we have 18,000 employees something that I started. I was employee number one in India when I set up MetLife. And when I became part of Sun Life and when I became part of Birla Sun Life, etc. And the growth that that has seen. So you're generating employment through an organization and an industry that you were part of, that you had some role to play to come back here. And so the 
the younger talent is looking at it and saying, there's no reason for me to leave and go somewhere else just to make a good living. You can make a very good living and you can be part of a big story and part of a big brand, learn the trade right here and achieve growth. In the process, because of cross-pollination, they might still get opportunities in other parts of the world, which is great. And the talent is identified here and picked up and sent to different parts of the world, which is fantastic. But the dynamics has definitely changed. There's no question about it. And the level of entrepreneurism that I see right now uh, is unprecedented. I mean, people looking at startups, people looking and investors willing to back that idea and to give them an opportunity to build that idea, build a company and uh, and the value that gets created. So it's uh, it's an exciting, exciting time. Totally. I mean, look, it might even be a problem, a good problem to have, but there are literally tens of millions of young Indians entering the workforce every year. I think working age population is set to grow by 25, 30% in the next 20 odd years. Um, but yeah, if investment and people are willing to invest and, and grow businesses in India, then you know one can hope that there's going to be plenty of jobs going around for them. Absolutely. I think the other important point to be made, uh, Ben, just in terms of the demographics, you know, India is one of the few countries which is adding to the workforce. Yeah. Because 50% of the population is below the age of 25. And so you can see how vibrant and how important that is. I mean, we are reading newspaper reports about several countries China included, for example, who are facing a different type of a challenge of the graying of the population and the different types of uh, pressures that it adds on the society. Whereas here we have a different type of a, a challenge, you know, the workforce that's coming out and their desire to get educated and to learn the trade and be available. It is, I mean, you can look at any particular industry today and you'll get top-notch people yeah. here. Yeah. That's exciting to see. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's a nice segue into things like digital and movies and streaming. You run Red Chili's Entertainment, which is one of Bollywood's biggest production houses, along with Shah Rukh Khan, well, you know, one of, if not Bollywood's biggest name. Young people, they like to consume. We know that, whether it's physical goods or TV shows or movies. What have you seen in the last 10 years of, of Red Chili's and how quickly has the shift to online and streaming happened? I mean, we've seen it here in the Western world kind of flash before our eyes. Is it been the same in India? Are you building your platforms now purely for a digital kind of streaming world? Well, you know, I think, the, you know, if I could just step back a little bit, I think some of the dynamics of what has changed is that we talked about the middle class, we talked about wealth creation and the disposable income. And with prosperity comes all of those things. And as there is growth and prosperity, people become very hungry for entertainment. And so I jokingly tell people that we are in a business in sports and entertainment, which is, which is recession proof. Because in good times, people want to be entertained and bad times, they want to be entertained <laughs> as well. And because of, of, the, of the economics and the economic boom, if you will, people have the disposable income and therefore they have become very discerning type of customers too. So you can't dish out anything and then hope that it'll be consumed. So they become very discerning in that sense. Along with that comes a technology overlay, which is about how savvy people have become. So now they're saying, listen, I want to consume content, but I want to do it when I want to, how I want to, where I want to, at a price that I want to. Our job, therefore, when you bring it back into focus is to say, how do I create content 
that can be disseminated across multiple platforms at a price that the consumer is prepared to pay for it. And that challenges us in a very different way. So therefore, the creative teams and the production teams and the kind of the genre of content that we create has changed a lot. And the responsiveness to what you put out there is so quick. You know, there used to be a time when most big films released on a Friday and everybody used to keep their fingers crossed on how it would open and the crowd that would come in. And it would take three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to try and figure out how the audience have accepted it or not. Now it is, uh, if it's a Friday before your film goes live, there are enough information about it. And because of social media, because of other technology, other platforms, and the word spreads real fast. I mean, if it's good content, it's spreading real fast. Mm. If it's bad, you hear about it very <laughs> quick. So it keeps us on our toes, which is great. I think consumerism in that sense, particularly in these two industries also, is driving it significantly. So we've all had to reinvent ourselves and make sure that we are on top of our game because the money is there to create projects and to build it. It's become highly professional and we take a lot of pride in Red Chili's when people say that we're probably the most professionally run production house and a studio and the same is said of us on the sports side. And I don't think there's any other option but to organize yourself in that fashion so that you can not only continue to survive and sustain, but at the same time grow. No? Yeah. No, totally. And actually, I want to hone in a little bit on on Bollywood. We talked about it at the top of the podcast, but delving into a bit more. When you start to think about new projects, new films, new TV shows, are you making them purely for an Indian audience these days? Or are you starting to think about you know how this might export around the world? And again, has that changed at all in the last five, 10 years? I, I think it has definitely changed in the last uh, few years, uh, Ben, just by virtue of everything becoming so global in nature. It was one of uh, when the IT boom and the, the BPO boom was taking place. There was a book that became a little famous called The World is Flat. And I do use that line a bit because I think everything today, any product that you put out from India in particular, you are looking at it as a global platform, how to market that and content in particular. Uh, it is consumed. We have analytics today when we partner with OTT platforms or television platforms. It's Everything is data-driven. And there's so much analytics and so much algorithms built in there that you get feedback like that. And so you are keeping that in mind. I mean, particularly the films also that we make, even at a time when it wasn't as global, Shah Rukh Khan was one of the probably the only star coming out of India, Bollywood, whose films were always released everywhere around the world. Some of the strangest places where we would get feedback, like countries like Peru. And I'm like, you know, who's watching our film in Peru? And so you, you get into trying to figure out and they do all kinds of things on YouTube and put songs and they've danced to his song and whatnot. So we look at it as a global platform. And we look at when we produce anything, yes, you know, and the old saying, what's the old saying saying, you know, we think global, but we act local. So it is it is important to be able to cater to a huge market in India, no doubt. But at the same time, you always have that orientation, which is this is going to reach various different consumers and markets around the world. So it has to appeal. It has to appeal. So we think that way for sure. Totally. And, and, you know, if I sit here today, I'm noticing Bollywood films more and more creep up on my streaming services, Netflix. I watched White Tiger over lockdown and a lot of my peers and work associates commented on it. It's definitely a trend that I've 
experienced here in the Western world. So yeah, please keep giving us more content from India. <laughs> no, definitely. Thank you for that. And it's uh, it's always part of our business psyche and our outlook to keep producing high quality content. And you know, it's always entirely going to be up to the fans and the consumers, whether they like it, don't like it, we get feedback. But I think for the most part, we've got some real, real positive feedback about stuff that we do, which encourages us to keep doing more. Yeah, absolutely. India is a bit of an outsourcing destination for things. You've, you've mentioned it a couple of times, IT outsourcing, BPO. But you've got a fascinating line of business, I, I understand, whereby movie companies around the world are now coming to you guys to outsource things like special effects. You know, highly technical, I'm not a movie buff, but I, I imagine highly technical, specialized stuff that is now being done in India. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Absolutely. It started with and continues with the kind of vision that Shah Rukh Khan as the promoter of the company. I mean, management is completely professionalized right now and is sort of handed over the reins to me to run on a day-to-day basis. But his vision is what we all try to take forward and execute upon. And he has been one who has been very, very particular about consumer experience. So he says, anyone who watches any piece of content that comes out of Red Chili's and it says Red Chili's present when I put my banner behind it, they may or may not like the content, but they should say, you know, it's really produced well. Yeah, These guys haven't cut any corners. So that was uh, the extension of that is some of the things that we have done as an organization, one of them being visual effects. And with visual effects, a common man may or may not notice the difference between a movie which has had a lot of visual effects and one that doesn't. The obvious movies where you see a lot of VFX in play are like superhero movies and action movies where bombs are exploding, cars Mm. are tumbling, and all that sort of stuff is obvious ones for VFX. But there are many other movies which are, it can be a family story, but you need a fair amount of VFX there to give the consumer the experience of enjoying it. And so it started and it wasn't really a money-making type of an initiative, but it was more, he always said, no, we should invest in this because, you know, fans should enjoy when when they come in. But, you know, come professional management and people like me in the picture, then you're always thinking about how do I make my business viable? And I think what I saw there was that we have some amazing talent there because visual effects is is obviously heavy technology, hardware, software, but you need a lot of creativity there. And the people who are there, the creative guys who are there are the ones who are actually giving effect to visual effects using technology. So we went and sold the story to different parts of the world in UK and the US and the studios there were actually blown away when we showed them our type of work that we have done. They said, wow, so you guys did this. And so Uh, So slowly but surely, we started getting some pieces of business, which was outsourced to us, you know. And when they started seeing the kind of quality that we could deliver, and also, obviously, the cost arbitrage that's there, then it slowly but surely became a no-brainer for them (laughs) to say, you know, we should send this work to, to India. It started with something on the lower on the foot chain, but then we have moved up now to a point where some of the very high end work, we do very, very well. It works for us, it's viable for us, it's profitable for us. So it's a nice win-win, but it's created a business opportunity and a partnership between businesses in the US and uh, India studios in particular, sending work here. And it's opened all kinds of doors for us. So I think, you know, we're really excited about that and hope that uh, we'll be able to scale that up. Totally. No, it's, it's, it's super cool. And I think we haven't got long left, but it would be remiss of me not to, to mention, I'm sure he comes up in most conversations you have, but Shah Rukh Khan is probably the biggest name in Bollywood for those that don't know. 
30 odd million followers on Twitter and Instagram and all of that. I I think, you know, I'd just be fascinated to know, and he's universally adored wherever he goes, both inside of India and, and frankly, you know, outside of India as well. What is it about India that, that creates these figures? It just seems to be in India, they're sort of, yeah, celebrities, but they're celebrities on steroids. They're almost, <laughs> they're almost godlike. Why is that? I mean, if you could put your finger on it. You know, I think, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a, it's a very unique phenomenon. And it's really about just, you know, stardom is not something that is thrust upon you, but you have to have a body of work that attracts those sections of people. And there's something about each of these big stars. I mean, you can count them on one hand over the years, but it continues and it gets bigger only every time I turn around. I mean, I, I'm sitting down and actually having meetings with him in the privacy of his nice little lounge he has at his home, which is like a library, nothing ostentatious, but we're having some good discussions. And within a few minutes, I mean, if you met with him and you had a meeting within a five, 10 minutes, you'll forget about the fact that he's a superstar. He's inherently a extremely smart person, very high IQ and very well informed. I don't know how he manages to stay abreast of everything that's going on. But for me, even till today, after having worked so many years with him, it never ceases to amaze me that while on the one hand, I'm sitting down, he's very disarming and I'm having this conversation and I forget that I'm in the company of a true superstar (laughs) in not only in India, but globally. I realize that when it hits me is sometimes we don't finish our conversation and he has to go somewhere and he says, would you mind, sir, just coming with me in my car? We'll finish the conversation. You can have your car follow me. And I say, sure. The moment we step out is when I see this ocean of humanity. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, this is what it's all about. So this, it's, uh, it's remarkable. But I think what also has made them into superstars is, uh, it might sound funny, but it's a very entrepreneurial probably environment and a mindset even in the creative space, where for someone like him, people write scripts around him Mm. and bring certain things and they're not hesitant to experiment. He's not. So he tries different things. And most of the times it works, sometimes it doesn't, but you're willing to take that risk and work through that. And so that just appeals to so many different type segments of the population that it becomes not just an India phenomenon, but it's a global phenomenon. I was visiting Germany once and I was working with a distributor there and I met a whole bunch of people who had watched all Shah Rukh films. And I said, Germans, Shah Rukh film, what are, <laughs> what's going on here? And they love the emotion side of it, yeah. the emotional side of, uh, of the film, different types of appeal for different people. But I put that down to not only the inherent intelligence and empathy and their ability to produce something that works for people, but also at the same time, the entrepreneurial mindset and the willingness to experiment different types of things, which builds that persona and it just gets bigger, if that makes sense. It, it makes total sense. It's fascinating. And we, we could talk all day about it. And I didn't even touch on half of the cricket questions I have for you, but maybe that's for another time. But before we wrap up, a, a question that I'm asking you know, all of my guests that come on the podcast is, but what do you want my listeners to think about differently when it comes to India? What kind of myths would you like to bust and and how would you like to position India to my listeners? Well, you know, I think when you, some of the obvious ones I'm going to state is just the sheer idea and the notion of India because being a democratic country of this size and scale and 
the different types of the diversity that exists in this country uh, when one comes in here and then the kind of infrastructure that exists. When I talk about infrastructure, you know, I'm not talking about roads and bridges and airports. They've all gotten better, but I'm talking about a legal infrastructure and a business infrastructure that exists, which for investors should be a great deal of comfort knowing that you can come and put your money in here and there's, there'll be a level of governance and operating within a legal structure that will protect your investment and hopefully give you an opportunity to build a big business. But at the same time, I think what's also important is the homework that people need to do when they come in here. Because I don't, I tell people that don't think of India as one country. I think it's like 50 countries rolled into one. So there's so much diversity and there's a market for every product. When those stars align, you get your business case right and you're, you got the right type of people in this environment. More often than not, you can't go wrong. That's kind of the dynamics of what I want to convey. And I've, I've seen this in action, having lived here, come back to India and built different businesses and running different businesses. Couldn't be a more fascinating place to build a business and achieve scale as yeah. well. There are very few markets around the world today where you can actually scale up your business. And this mm-hmm. has got to be just one of them. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's left. So I'm, uh, I'm excited about everything that's going on here. And I think there are many, many friends of mine I know uh, who are in business who talk about it all the time and want to be uh, sort of curating and bouncing different ideas off of me. So I'm always giving them the watch outs, but I also overall encouraging them with, uh, with any initiative that they might have. No, I think that's a really nice place to leave it. Given my dad grew up in, in Calcutta and given my, my great grandfather back in the early 20th century set up his business there, I think I might have to switch allegiances to the, to the Knight Riders. <laughs> And, uh, Absolutely. I think uh, you have to do it for more than more than one reason. But uh, I think just the lineage and the roots that you have here, uh, you have no option now, Ben. You know, you're a KKR <laughs> and a Kolkata Knight Riders fan and you have to come to Calcutta when we play the next season and hopefully enjoy what I've described to you. I would love that very, very much. But listen, Venki, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and chatting with us. Absolutely fascinating. And stay safe out there and, and, and we'll speak to you very soon. Thank you, Ben. My pleasure. It was great chatting with you and it's always fascinating to tell our side of the story. But uh, thanks for the opportunity and uh, you stay safe as well. You have been listening to Inside India with me, Ben Haywood. If you like what you have heard, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or indeed wherever you might listen. Don't forget to leave a review and a rating and tell us about your favorite episode. We will be back with a brand new episode in two weeks time. Until then, stay safe.